Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Amen. Wages of a wise woman, and I put down that www, so it may be something you can remember, because in this world of social media, even though you don't have to use it in your web browser, it is something that most people can relate to. So I want you to just relate it to wages, wise woman. During our monthly ministry focus commentary, Jeff Brothers, our director of Christian education, defined wisdom like this. The ability to perceive and comprehend God's purpose for a person, thing, situation, or relationship. I won't read that again because I want to focus on one part of it. The ability to perceive and comprehend God's purpose for a person. And sometimes we don't recognize that God is doing something in us because we don't realize that's God's purpose. This message this morning is about two women who display wisdom which serve God's purpose. And both were blessed because of, in other words, both received wages for their wisdom. These two women came from two different backgrounds. There were many differences between them. But despite their difference, they were both in need, which they could not satisfy. Despite their difference, they both faced problems which they could not resolve. But he's a powerful God. Let's look at the first woman's story in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now, we are not going to be going through all these scriptures, so let me just kind of give you a synopsis of this first woman. Her need was physical. Now, you heard Prophet Caleb said something about how God deals with our need, whether it be physical, emotional, whatever. But this woman's need was physical. She, 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 she was a poor widow in financial need. Her husband was in what I want to call Jeff prophetical school under the guidance of the prophet Elijah. Now, for those of us that have probably been to some type of higher education, you know it costs a lot of money. Many of you who graduated from college are still in debt right now. So you can imagine when her husband died, her situation. Suddenly now this wife finds herself and her sons without financial support and deeply in debt. Unfortunately, the culture of that day allowed the creditors to seize the debtor's children and, and, and sell them to satisfy the debt. Can you imagine what this grieving widow must be going through? But I want to point out what she did not do because it's just as profound as what she did do. 
What she did not do, ladies, is feel sorry for herself, go into a valley of self-pity, or crawl into a hole of depression. Now, 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 I'm looking at it from my point of view, some things I think she could have said. Remember what she did. Her husband is in school to be a preacher. And for those people that think, don't think we got to go to school because you call, it's right there in the Word. It says quite a few, school is the prophets. So if God calls them, why do they need to go to school? Because they need training. So for anybody out there that say, well, if you call, you don't train. Well, you're going against the Word of God. Anyway, getting back to the point. What she could have said was this. Lord, my husband and I put our lives on hold for you. Or she could have said, Lord, my husband loved and served you. Why did he die? Or she could have said, Lord, not only have I lost my husband, but now I'm about to lose my sons as well. She could have said, Lord, how could you allow this to happen? And then question the fact, Lord, are you real? Lord, is your word true? But she didn't do any of those things. What she did was seek divine help from a divine source. She displayed wisdom by going to the man of God to seek wise counseling. In the Old Testament, only God's prophet had direct connection to him. So going to Elijah was her way of going to God. And Elijah told her, what do you want me to do? What you got in the house? She said, I ain't got nothing but a little old boil jug of oil. And I want you to think of a, a salad dressing. Oh, you know when you mix, used to mix a salad up? A little small something. It, it was used for either cooking, but most often for anointing the body. He told her, go to your neighbors and borrow as many empty large jugs as you can find. And she did just that. Right. Now join me in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her son. And she poured, as she poured, they brought vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then, then the all stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, he said, go and sell the oil, pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Not only did she get enough to pay her current debt, she had enough to retire. But notice, the all flowed as long as she had jugs to fill. A wise woman makes sure she have enough vessels to put all in. Ladies, when you trust the Lord, you can turn your little jar into a large jug. Imagine how hard that was. I got something this small, and you asked me to fill up a milk jug with it. That's the first woman, sir. But the second woman is, is the, really the key to the, to the message today. The second woman's story is found in 2 Kings 
chapter 4, verse 8, all the way to 38. Again, we're not going to cover all that for the sake of time. But the second woman need was not physical. Are you putting it clear? It was emotional. Unlike the first woman, she was married and wealthy. And sometimes ladies think that's all I need to do is find me a rich man to marry. Normally this woman's salary would have been the envy of everybody in her day and today. She was well off. Some of y'all like that, don't you? But she had a husband that was willing to do anything she wanted to do. Except one thing. He was old. Y'all can read between the lines if you want to on that. Let's put it this way. He was old. He had diabetes. And had prostate cancer. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that too. She was childless, even though she was wealthy. This made her a social outcast. Now she goes from emotional need to a mental need. Let's listen to her story. I want you to notice one thing here. We end it with verse 7 with the first woman. Immediately in verse 8 it says this, one day Elijah went on to Shinnah where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there and eat some food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know this is a holy man of God. I know that this is a holy man of God. I know that this is a holy man of God who continually passed our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed. Now somebody say a bed. I'm coming back to that. A table, a chair, and a lamp. A bed for him to rest in, a table where he can eat. A chair where he can rest and a lamp where he can study. So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. As I said, this thing comes right after the other lady. And this is to show the loving concern of our God and Father, regardless of your social condition. So I want you ladies to remember, it don't make a difference where your social status is. God is concerned for you. Whether you're a poor widow. Or you're a rich woman. God has a concern. But this second woman was wise as well. She recognized Elijah was a man of God. And her generosity led to her providing for the prophet. And because she provided for God's man in her wisdom, she received some wages. Elijah desired to do something for her in return because of her goodness. We pick up now in verse 12 of chapter 4. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shumanite. And when he called her, he, she stood before him. He said, say now to her. Notice he didn't even say anything to her. He was talking to Gehazi. See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have me spoke a word on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? He is basically saying, do you want me to get you taxes in? Do you want to make sure your land is not confiscated? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. 
Notice this woman did not request or expect anything in return for her generosity to God's man. She expressed contentment with her present condition and status. She did not moan. She did not mama. She did not complain. She said, I am okay. Can you be wise enough to be okay with your present situation? Or do you look at another woman and you wish you had what she had? A lot of women don't win after other women's husbands. And when they got him, they found out they didn't want what they thought she said. But still, even though she didn't ask for nothing, Elijah was determined he was going to bless this woman because she showed wisdom and blessed them. So he turned to Gehazi, his servant, and asked for advice. He said, what then, verse 14, is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the door. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Now, wait a minute. This same woman who exercised faith and acknowledging that Elijah was a man of God, now she doubts God's promise. Now, her words in her defense may have been what we call a too-good-to-be-true mechanism. Just ain't going to believe it. But because she accused, and y'all get this now, because she accused the man of God of deceiving her, she was actually accusing God of deception as well. And she will learn, and I hope you do too, a very valuable lesson. God is more than just a giver of life. He is also a restorer of life. Look with me at verse 17 now. But the woman conceived. And she bore a son about that time, that following spring, as Elijah had said to her. Looking good, ain't it? When the child had grown up, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. Now, I imagine this boy's about eight or nine. He said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, carrying to his mama. I put the mom in there. And when he had lifted him up and brought him to his mama, mother, the child sat on her lap to noon, and then he died. This woman, who was married for so long, then blessed to experience motherhood, could have been devastated into hopeless despair of immobility. Now, hopeless despair of immobility is that you can't move, you can't do nothing, but sit there and cry. And I can imagine that's probably what I would have done. I mean, here I am, I mean, after I had blessing, let's just say the boy was nine years old. For nine years, I've had this beautiful child. 
And God had promised to give it to him. And now all of a sudden, he's gone. But she had hope in what appeared to be a hopeless situation. So she went to the God of hope. Verse 21 of chapter 4. And she went up and laid him on the bed. Y'all remember the bed? Of the man of God. Shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called for, to her husband and said, send me one of the servants. And one of the donkeys said, I'm going to go quickly to the man of God and come back again. Why she put him on the bed? She wanted Elijah to no. She wanted to remind Elijah of what she did for him. I made this bed for you. So she took the boy's body and laid it on the bed in the room that her husband had built for the prophet. And she asked her husband to make a raiment so she could go and see the man of God. Now when you read this, and I encourage y'all really to read the whole thing, her husband did not realize the seriousness of the situation. Nowhere in here is he a grieving father because he don't know the boy's dead. He did not understand why the wife wanted to go to visit the man of God. And when you read the text, it says, he said, hey, it ain't the Sabbath. It ain't, no, it ain't no religious holiday. So sometimes, ladies, when you want to come to faith development, or you want to come to a Wednesday or Sunday morning, and, and, and your husband, people in the household said, Why are you going? Church don't start at 11 o'clock. They don't understand the fullness of what's going on. See, you know it's some dead things in your house. You know some things that need resurrection. So you need to get to the house of the Lord. And the thing about it, many husbands who say right there said, Why do you want to go to church? You can go if you want to. No, baby, I'll stay here with you. And that's why you got things stinking because they don't die and now they're rotten. <laughs> this woman knew this man don't promise me this child. Something don't add up. So she assured her husband, I'll be back. And the Bible says it'll be well. Because during her time of distress, she sought God. And she sacrificed her own personal comfort because she told him, I'm getting on this, this, this donkey and you ride him as hard as you can. Don't stop unless I say so. I don't know how many of y'all ever been on a horse or a donkey. It ain't the most comfortable thing when they're going full gallop. This woman was not comfortable when she was moving, but she had to get to the man of God. And sometime in your life, God going to preach you in an uncomfortable situation. You got to press your way. Skip down to verse 25, chapter 4. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, I said, look, there comes the Shumanite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she said right there, it is well. 
Now she's talking to Gehazi. I really don't know why. Because Elijah was concerned when he saw it coming. That's why he struck Gehazi. Elijah is old. Gehazi can still get up and go. Gird up your logs there. Take up and go to her. And then says this. Go get my staff and go to the house. Let me read it for you. So he set out and came to the man of God, my camera. This is verse 25. When the man of God saw it coming, said to Gehazi, go and see. She saw as well. Then verse 27 said this. And when she came to the mount of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came and pushed her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. For she's in bitterness, distress. And the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. Hey, folks, I don't know everything. God, God don't reveal everything to me either. She went and grabbed the prophet's feet. And following proper protocol, Gehazi just tried to push away. You didn't touch the man of God. And he was quickly rebuked. And there she is, down at Gehazi, at Elijah's feet. And here's her words in verse 28. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? The woman never told Elijah that her son had died, but he knew it because of the way she was acting. But he didn't know what he ought to do at that moment. She reminded the prophet that I didn't ask for this. And I basically told you, don't play with my emotion by giving me a son only to take him away. So here goes Gehazi with the prophet's staff. That's a symbol of power. He ran faster and he put that staff, laid it on that dead body. But the woman was wise enough to know that her son didn't need a servant. Her son needed God. I'm a servant. I ain't God. Now I know a lot, a lot of times y'all think that I can do stuff, but I'm a servant. I ain't God. He needed God. So she was determined not to leave the man of God until he came with us. And when Gehazi approached the bar was still dead, Elijah knew this was serious. A situation that required his personal and special attention. Look with me at verse 32. When Elijah came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on the bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed. Then he went up and laid on the child. Putting his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hand to his eyes, and stretched himself upon him, and the flesh of the child grew warm. It grew warm, but there was still no life. For you Bible scholars, I got a moment for you. Verse 35 said, Then he got up again, walked back and forth in the house. And went up and stretched himself upon him. I want to add here again. 
And before I get to this final point of what happened, I want, I, I want to, to, to kind of bring something to your attention. There's a, a reference to this. Uh, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17. And what it says was Elijah, who was a mentor of Elisha, had a similar incident. There was a widow's son that died, and Elijah laid on the child. And after he laid on the child, the child came back to life. So Elisha was just following what his teacher had told him. But, 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 if you look at 2 Kings 2 and 9, when Elijah was getting ready to leave, Elisha, he said, what can I do for you? He said, let me have a double portion of your spirit. So, so here, here you go, guys. When you ask God for a double portion, yes. you will have to do double work. So, so while he laid on it one time, nothing happened. He had to get up and walk around, and he laid on the second time, and then it said, the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Sneeze is a natural response of the body to expel something which irritates the breathing organ or the breathing mechanism. It is activated by our immune system, which protects us from harmful elements. The number seven in the Bible most often represents wholeness, completeness, and perfection. And when he opened his eyes, it meant that life was restored. Sneeze could have meant the seven spirits of God, but I'm going to take it at this boy here. Whoever, and I think I read somewhere, Jeff, that you can put every major disease in seven categories. So when he sneezed every time, he was rejecting cancer. He was rejecting diabetes. He was rejecting heart failure, and so on and so forth. But that ain't the end of the story. I wish I could end it right there. But I want to tell you something. You have to go. That's why I said you got to read. You remember that this second woman was married and wealthy, right? And then she get a son. He dies. But now he's restored. Life is good, right? Everything is well, right? Uh, just when things are going well, seems like all hell break loose. Let me read you an account that's in 2 Kings chapter 8, and it's a lot of it, so I got to read for it, but you'll get the point. Now, keep in mind, we just left chapter 4, right? Sons alive. Chapter 8 says this. Now, Elijah has said to the woman whose son he had restored, Arise and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And it will come to the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the words of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned to the land of Philistine. Seven years. And at the end of seven years, when the woman returned from the land of Philistine, she went to appeal to the king for a house and land. Wait a minute now. She was rich. After the famine was over, 
her house and land had been confiscated. So it appears now this, this, this woman, husband has died as well. So now she's in the same position as the first woman. She ain't rich and married no more. She is a poor widow, just like the first one. Hmm. Look at verse 4, though, because he's a powerful God. Now the king was ta- talking to Gehazi, the servant of God, saying, tell me of all the great things Elijah had done. King had heard about him. And while he was telling the king of how Elijah had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son had, he had restored to life appeared to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elijah has restored. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her saying, restore all that was hers. And get this now. Together with all the produce of the field. From the day that she left the land to now. And you imagine not only is she getting the land back, but everything that grew. During that seven years, she got back. Ladies, I got to ask you, what has the devil stole from you? What, 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 what has he taken from you? God, God, God is telling you that he wants to give it back. If you have lost something that God has given you, don't get discouraged. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, if there's anybody here who feel like the famine of life has taken from you, I want you to get up right now and make your way to the altar and come to the Lord and let him bless you again because he is able, because he is a powerful God to restore everything that the enemy has taken from him. And I am done. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.